I noticed uh, a weird phenomenon in my relationship with God. I was pushing 40, it was in my 30s anyways, late 30s. And um, what I noticed actually was the way I was praying, uh, I had a disconnect with one of the members of the Trinity. One of my favorite questions, by the way, to ask is, which member of the Trinity do you least connect with? The answer to that question always reveals something about your soul. And in my case, the answer would have been this. I connected with Jesus really deeply. When I came to really surrender my life to Christ, I, I experienced the love of Jesus. The Gospels have always fascinated me. As a matter of fact, the only regret I have about the Gospels is there aren't more stories. I just love Jesus, connect to Jesus. I dig the stories of Jesus. So Jesus and I were good. And then I connected to the Holy Spirit. Uh, I experienced his presence. I can literally pause and instantly sense the Spirit's presence. I can feel him. I hear his voice. And uh, I can get into his presence quickly and abide in his presence. That's cultivated over a lifetime. However, um, it was the Father that I was struggling to connect to. The way I noticed, actually, was just listening to my prayers. And whenever I prayed, I always just called him God. I'm not very religious, you know. I, uh, for whatever reason, religion has never had much appeal to me, and I never have been filled with religious phrases. And, you know, some people, when they pray, they're filled with religious phrases. When they talk, you know, it's religious phrases. And I, I'm just not that way. So I talk from my heart to God. I talk from my heart to people. It's just the way I am. And so, you know, when I talk to the Father, I would just say, God and one day I was listening to this and I realized like, I had intimate expressions that I would use with Jesus. I had intimate expressions I would use with the Spirit. And with the Father, there was distance. It wasn't just that, though. It wasn't just the words. When I started really backing up and looking at it, I went, there's kind of uh, an aversion in my spirit towards God the Father. Now, you know, I grew up in a home where my dad had a lot of anger growing up. The truth is, you know, when I had to deal with the issues of my soul, one of the things I had to deal with was my father wounds growing up. But I had processed that stuff. I'd forgiven my dad. I'd walked through a lot of that stuff. There was healing there. So what was weird was I figured that, you know, when I'd walk through the father wound issues, that my relationship with the heavenly father would just automatically be sort of fixed. And it wasn't. And so when I realized this, I went after it. Let me pause there and just say something that's incredibly important. You know, my observation of Christianity today, and I travel the world and speak to Christian groups everywhere, is this. We're way too passive in our faith. So many of us, we can feel a gap between where the Bible says we could be and where we currently are, and we passively wait for God to close the gap. And I'm just going to work with you for a second this morning on this concept. That isn't going to do it. You have to take responsibility for the gaps in your life. You have to position yourself to be in a place where the Father can bring revelation. But if we don't position ourselves, the revelation seldom comes. And what I did was I pressed in and pressed through to close that gap, 
too many of us, you know, we press in a little bit, you know, we'll sort of come to church, we'll read our Bible, we'll pray, we'll do some things, and then it gets hard, and we go, and it's not working. We give up. We, or we press in enough to feel a little bit better, and then we quit. But you see, I want to press in and press through to everything God has for me. I don't want to leave anything on the table. And so I had to press in and press through on this issue. Here's the good news. When you start to experience the revelatory love of the Father, your intimacy with God is going to soar. And your authority is going to be expanded. And so I want to take a look at a passage this morning that talks about this revelatory love of the Father. And it's the Holy Spirit who brings the revelation of the Father's love. Why don't you look with me in Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to look at verse 14 and on to 17. The context here, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives here a little bit. He's talking about walking in step with the Spirit. And he says this in verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. You're not slaves to, to, to performance. You're not slaves to condemnation. You're not slaves to shame. You're not slaves to fear that if I don't get it right, I'm not going to be enough. I'm not going to be accepted. He goes, once you have this spirit within you, you're a child. You belong. Earlier in the letter, you know, Paul had said, you know, rarely will anybody die for a good person, but for a good person, you know, somebody might dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, he says, you don't have to be afraid because this thing was never about you or your performance. You were accepted because of the Father's love, not because of anything you did or did not do. And so with that, he says, you don't have to be afraid. This is the Spirit. He's confirming this and speaking this and revealing this stuff in your inner being. Then he goes on to say this, rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. This here is a technical term. You know, in a lot of translations today, I think appropriately uh, use gender-sensitive language, and I appreciate that. But this one really is translated correctly when it says you're adopted to sonship because this word has to do with firstborn son status. Now hear me, in a Jewish first century society, that was a big whopping deal. Okay? It was a firstborn son that inherited most of the land. Why? Because they wanted to keep the land in the family. Okay? So this was a big deal in this day and age. Well, he's saying you have firstborn son status in case you missed it. That means you have the status of Jesus in the eyes of the Father. Listen, if that doesn't stun you, you may need to check your pulse. That is stunning revelation. By Him, the Spirit that is within us, who is the Spirit of adoption, we cry, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. It's the same word that Jesus used, the intimate expression that little children used for their father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. 
if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. Listen, God invites you into this intimate relationship. He deposits his spirit in you. He's crying out within you, Daddy, Papa, Abba, Father. But part of the intimate relationship is not just the glory, but it is the fellowship of his sufferings. That's why he ends by saying, you know, listen, you're an heir of God, a co-heir of Christ, if you're willing to take the way of the cross and die with Christ fully surrendered to him. So let me just walk through this passage for a second with you. You know, the Holy Spirit, this is point, the Holy Spirit's revealing to us the Father's love so that we can understand, experience the revelation that we are an heir of God, co-heir with Christ. I just want to pause on that statement for a second. Do you realize what he's saying with that? What he's saying to you is the things that belong to Jesus belong to you. That is stunning revelation. I remember the first time I realized what he was really saying in this passage, that I'm an heir of God, a co-heir of Christ, that the things that belong to Jesus belong to me. Picture the throne room of heaven. Jesus is sitting right now in the throne room of heaven next to the Father. He's on the right hand of the Father. And, and there's nothing between them whatsoever. He can ask the Father for anything, and the Father will receive and do what Jesus says because of the pure intimacy of relationship. And this passage, Paul's saying, you sit right there with Christ. You're an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ. By the way, this isn't the only time Paul hits this concept, which is a stunning concept. And in Ephesians, he talks about Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in the spiritual realm. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, by grace, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. But this is who you are. You're an heir of God, a co-heir of Christ. But so often we come to the Father begging like paupers, not speaking like children. And I'll tell you why. It's because we have yet to receive the revelation of the Father of our adoption. We have knowledge of it. We know this stuff. A lot of you grew up in church. You've heard this your whole lives. You're deeply loved by God. You're adopted in the family. You could repeat it. You could quote the verses. But hear me for a second. So often the gap in Christianity is between what is known and what has been made known by the Holy Spirit. See, that's revelation. The gap that is missing in so much of the church today is simply the revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's the gap. The stuff that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. And I, I want to pause and just say, you know, sometimes we're not receiving the revelation of the adoptive love of the Father because there are blocks in our soul. You know, I, I started this weekend on Friday. How many of you there Friday? Just check my audience. Okay. Pretty good, actually. Not bad. Um, I won't ask how many of you weren't there, but really, where were you? You know, I'm just wondering. So anyways, I'm sorry you missed. A shame on you. And, and so, you know, here, you know, think of your soul like a suitcase for a second, okay? Uh, I travel a lot. As a matter of fact, I started this trip on Friday. I had a suitcase with me. Everything was nice, neat, clean, folded. This is the last neat, clean, folded stuff in my suitcase. I'll go home with this today. I chucked everything in the suitcase this morning. I didn't fold anything, didn't pack anything, because when I get home, I got to take that suitcase and dump it out, and it all needs to be washed before I take the next trip. You know, if I don't dump the suitcase out and I try to take the next trip and I'm trying to jam in nice, neat, clean clothes on top of the dirty clothes, it just doesn't work. 
This is why Paul says you have to take off the old before you can put on the new. Too often what's happened is we're trying to pack in the stuff of God, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the freedom of the Holy Spirit, without unpacking the junk that's in the suitcase. And a lot of times what's happening is we're trying to read the Scripture, we're trying to believe this stuff, but there's a block between what we know cognitively and what has been made known, and it's the stuff in the suitcase of the soul that's never been emptied. Let me just give you one of the culprits. One of the culprits that's robbing you of revelation is shame. Shame is this sense that I'm, I'm not lovable. I'm not accepted. If people really knew me, they wouldn't really love me. Usually shame comes from things that we've done. A lot of times it's from keeping secrets. There's stuff that we've done that we've never told anybody else. There's patterns that we're stuck in that we never tell anybody. And that stuff produces shame. Here's the problem with shame. It's like Teflon to the soul. Nothing ever sticks to shame. But sometimes shame is there because of things that have been done to us. Some of you have been abused physically, emotionally, sexually. You don't get abused without feeling shame. Some of you grew up in the home of alcoholics. You don't grow up in the home of alcoholics without experiencing shame. They have shame. The root of all addiction is shame. That's why they were drinking. And on top of that, they produce shame, an atmosphere of shame. And some of you have a ton of shame in the suitcase. Listen, it's keeping you from all the fullness of the revelation of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so vital to unpack the suitcase. In my own life, I'd done a lot of that unpacking. You know, I had to unpack the issues of the father wounding. I had to unpack other issues in my soul. I'd done a lot of that unpacking, and yet still, I realized there was a gap between what I knew, between what the Scripture said, and what had been made known in my heart. So I pressed in and pressed through. And I just want to give you a couple of thoughts about how to receive the revelation of the Father's love. I mean, you got to start by unpacking, but I'm not even going to cover that today. Uh, that's why I wrote the book Soul Care. And, you know, so let's just talk about receiving this revelation of the Holy Spirit. What can we do? How can we position ourselves to receive it? Let me give you three things. Here's the first. We receive the adoptive love of the Father, that revelation of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scripture to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, you know, all Scripture is God-breathed. And I mentioned this the other night, you know, it's, it's so common that people, when they teach this, will say, you know, that means that God, you know, superintended the process of the authors writing the Bible, and it was all inspired by God. That's true. But that's not what Paul meant when he wrote this, okay? What Paul meant was, every time you pick up this holy writ called Scripture, you are one Holy Spirit breath away from a fresh encounter with a living God. What he meant was, when you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit will reveal himself to you in it. You'll start to read, and all of a sudden, a phrase will jump off the page at you. Something will stir in your inner being. That's the moment that the breath of God has come to you personally. That's the moment you need to stop reading. But too often, what happens is we got an agenda, right? I've got to read my three chapters. I mean, I gotta read through. I gotta read my three chapters. I gotta get my check. I'm a good Christian. And I, I gotta pause when the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. When I started to realize that there was this gap, the first thing I started to do was meditate on scripture that talked about this 
reality of the Father's love. So, for example, I started meditating on this passage in Romans chapter 8. I started meditating on passages in Ephesians, like chapter 1, and, you know, there's other places there as well. And I just started meditating on these passages, and all I would do is I would read them and wait for the Holy Spirit to reveal something, to breathe, to stir something inside of me. One day I was at the monastery where I go to meet alone with God, and I'm, I'm, I'm at this monastery, and I'm meditating on this passage that I'm reading to you, Romans chapter 8. It was the day that this concept, co-heir, jumped off the page at me. I was so stirring. I'm, I'm reading this, and it, it finally strikes me. He's saying that the things that belong to Jesus belong to you. You have that level of access. Stunning. And I remember sitting there, and I couldn't get past it two, three days at the monastery, and I can't move past this concept. And I'm, I'm getting ready to come home. It's just near the end of my stay. I was there maybe two days that time. I can't remember. And all of a sudden, my cell phone rings, which you have to understand is really bizarre at the monastery because I don't get a cell phone signal at the monastery. And, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I go there, to unplug completely. But the cell phone rings. I look down, and it's my daughter. Courtney, she's my second born. And I see the cell phone is ringing, and it's my daughter, and so I pick it up real quick, and I said to her, sweetheart, listen, I said, I don't know why I got a signal. I never get a signal when I'm here. I said, I'm, I'm going to call you right back. I said, I'm going to call you from the monastery phone, which means it's going to say Most Holy Trinity Monastery. Pick it up. It ain't the monks. It's me. I hung up my cell phone and went out in the other room. I called her back, and she goes, Dad, I need to talk to you. Can you talk? Listen, you know what was funny? I mean, it was, you know, a teenage crisis thing. She was fine, by the way. She's still fine. And so uh, what's funny is this. If any other name had appeared on that phone, I would not have picked it up. But you see, that's my daughter. She gets access to my sacred space. Do you realize what the father is saying when he says you're a co-heir? You get access to his sacred space. Please hear me. You don't get access if you're being good today. You get access because Jesus was good for you. You don't get access if you're towing the line. You get access because he put his spirit in you. You're adopted. This is the kind of access we have. But you see, we can't know this. This needs to be made known to us. This is why I meditate on Scripture so the illumination could come. That was helping some, but I still wasn't there yet. So the second thing that really helped me to put myself in a position to receive the adoptive love of the Father is I would spend time listening to the Holy Spirit every day. I needed to hear direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 is an incredible verse, really. He says, the Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And I want you to think about a testimony for a second. You know, again, I used this illustration the other day. If you're in an accident someplace or someone is in an accident in front of you and you're a witness to the accident, what does a witness do? They tell what they've seen, what they've heard, and what they've experienced. That's all they do. They tell what they've seen, what they've heard, and what they've experienced. That's it. 
So please grasp this concept. This is what he's saying. When he says the Holy Spirit is testifying to you that you are a child of God, you need to understand he has spent all eternity in the presence of the Father and the Son. He is testifying to you about what he has heard from the Father about you. He is testifying to you about what he has heard from the Son about you. He is testifying to you about the testimony of heaven. He is saying, I know the Father calls you his own because of the blood of Jesus. I know Jesus declares you pure because his blood has been shed over you. I know you are worried about the things you're stuck in, the stuff you're trafficking in that's not of God. But you need to know, heaven sees you as adopted, pure, purified because of him. And he's testifying to you. Now hear me, so often what happens is the Holy Spirit is bringing testimony to my inner being and I'm going, yeah, but that can't be true. You don't understand what I've done. That's the stuff in your suitcase. The stuff in your suitcase is blocking you from the revelation of the adoptive love of the Father. And it is robbing you of your inheritance in Christ. So, you know, first thing I started doing when I realized, like, the Holy Spirit was supposed to be testifying as I was meditating on this passage, I, I, I went, I'm just going to spend time listening every day, and I'm going I'm to write down what I sense the Holy Spirit saying to me. Every day, I would sit down, and this is what I would hear him say. Every day, first sentence, I love you. Months went by, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Every day, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Every day, I love you, I love you, I love you. Finally, I don't know, I was four or five months into this thing, and I'm like, come on, is that really you? And I hear the Holy Spirit, and he says, don't you tell your children you love them every day? I said, well, yeah, but of course, but they're my kids. Hello. <laughs> I can remember a day I was holding one of my children. She was a baby, you know. She had woken up in the middle of the night. You know, this can only happen with your kids. They wake you up in the middle of the night, and you still love them. Why? Makes no sense. That's what they call grace. I'm holding her in the middle of the night, and I'm absolutely in love with this kid. I'm adoring her. You know, she's done nothing but rob me of sleep. And I'm holding her, and she's cuddled up. She's finally settled down. She's cuddled up against me. Her, her, her head is soft and nuzzled in against my neck, and I'm literally just like groaning in love. I'm just like, oh, I love you, you know? I had no idea the human heart capacity to love until I had children of my own. And while I'm sitting there having this sacred moment, I hear the Holy Spirit says to me, that's how the Father feels about you. That's how the Father feels about you. See, we need these revelatory moments. All these things were helping me, but I still wasn't there yet. And there's one last thing. I think if we're going to receive the adoptive love of the Father through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we need the love of God poured out in our hearts. This is Romans chapter 5. Earlier in the letter, Paul had said to the church at Rome, he said, you know, the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts. He pours it out. Well, this isn't a trickle. These other things are like, you know, they're like a trickle. They're a slow stream, a steady drip. They help. They fill the bucket, 
But this, this is like a fire hose poured out. This is totally different. And so when I read this, you know, and I'm wrestling with this stuff, and I realized I was gaining ground in the bucket of my soul. It was gaining some water in there, and I could feel it, and it was getting better. I knew I needed more. And so I just started praying, Lord, you need to pour out the love of God in my heart by your Holy Spirit. But I kept praying for months. Finally, one day I had a dream. I haven't had many dreams that come from the Lord, but I've had... I don't know, more than a dozen in my life. A couple of them have been utterly transformational, but none of them like this. This one, this one completely changed me. This was a dream. I was speaking at a men's retreat. That's actually really important. You have to understand, when a dream comes from the Lord, they're very symbolic. And so everything in the dream has symbolic meaning. And, you know, it takes a while. Actually, it took me years to fully unpack the meaning of this thing. I mean, do you ever read the book of Revelation? Anybody ever fully unpack that yet? It's very symbolic. And so anyways, I, I'm sitting there at a men's retreat. I'm actually leaving the stage. And as I'm walking away from the stage, it's all these men that I don't know. And uh, who knows where I was speaking. And as I'm walking through the audience, all these guys are coming up and they're giving me man hugs. You know what a man hug is? Three pats and you're out. Anything more than that is definitely suspicious. Three and done. Good hard pats, you know, boom, 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 boom. I make my way through the room, and I'm okay with that. You know, three pats and you're done, three pats and you're done, three pats and you're done, boom, boom, boom. I'm making my way through. I get out of the room, and I go outside, and I'm walking to my car, and when I get down a couple of steps, there's a guy sitting on the step. Now, this is the only guy in the dream that I know, okay? Again, dreams are very symbolic, so if you're peeling back the symbolism, you have to figure out what this thing represents. Well, what you have to understand about this guy in order to understand what he represents is you got to understand a little bit about my history with this guy, okay? This guy was my most vociferous critic. Now, I know here in Wadsworth, pastors don't have critics. But in New England, Scott, pastors had critics. And so this guy, I mean, just to give you a feel for what I mean when I say he was my critic, okay? One time this guy took me out to breakfast, Dunkin' Donuts, big sprinter. And when he took me out to breakfast, he, he had a list, legally, uh, uh, literally a legal pad. And the title of this, I'm just going to give it straight. The title of his legal pad was 21 Things You Suck At. <laughs> See, now this is going to be a fun conversation. This is the breakfast to beat all breakfast. And he just literally went down the list. Now, please hear me. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't displaying disrespect or, you know, he wasn't angry with me. He wasn't yelling, screaming, belittling, demeaning, berating, none of that. He was just very calm and matter of fact. He's just like, you know, you suck at this. And then he would tell me how I sucked at it. And he would give me illustrations to make sure I understood how I sucked at it. And then he would go to point two, you suck at this also. And he would tell me why and how and give me illustrations. And point three, and it took him two hours to get through his list. I never said a word. Two hours, I just listened. At the end of two hours, I just looked at him and I said, do you even like me? He goes, oh, this isn't personal. <laughs> I thought, thank God, because you imagine if it were, I could really get hurt. <laughs> By the way, you use an expression in the United States sometimes. We say, what you don't know won't hurt you. I'm just going to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell. What you don't know is killing you, and it's killing the other people around you. Self-awareness is a lid on your life. 
the things you do not admit are toxic. But you see, this guy didn't represent himself. This guy represented the critic within. See, when you carry around a little bit of shame in the suitcase, you're your own worst critic lots of times. See, when you carry around shame, you have two options. You're going to be critical of others and blame and be negative and judgmental. Or you're going to be critical of yourself. And sometimes you're just both. So that's what happens when you have shame. See, but what can happen when you have shame is you can't accept what the Spirit is testifying to you about. That's why I stood at the door. You see, he was the gatekeeper. I couldn't get to where I needed to go unless I could get past this guy. You know, he's the only guy in the dream I didn't hug. You know why? You can't make peace with shame. You need to put it to death. You know what the problem with shame is? You're making it too much about you. It's not about you. It's about what Jesus has done for you. You've got to quit making it about you. You've got to make it about him. So I didn't hug him. I walked past him. I went out to the parking lot. There was one last guy in the parking lot. The last guy in the parking lot was about my dad's age. And he gave me a hug. Well, everybody else gave me a hug, so it wasn't surprising. The only problem was nobody taught this guy the man hug rules. And he would not let me go. I mean, he had me in a tight embrace, man, and he would not let me go. And my skin started to crawl. You see, when you carry around shame in the suitcase of your soul, one of the things you need to know is when you get too close to other people, you start to get squirrely. You don't feel very comfortable. They're threatening to you. You don't like that stuff, whether it's emotional closeness, and for some of you, it's even physical closeness. Like, don't hug me, man. That makes me uncomfortable. At least if you do, make it three pats and you're out, because I can handle that level, but don't give me too much. Like, you hold on. I'm getting squirrely and I'm getting squirrely and I'm wanting this guy to let me go and I'm gonna literally like push him away but he's got me and he won't let me go and finally I'm dying inside this guy disembraces but still won't let me go he's got me by the shoulders he looks me in the eye and he says to me I am your father in heaven and I love you and I lost it I woke up my pillow was soaking wet man I am sobbing and I am being bathed in the love of the father I walked downstairs and I sat in my living room in the pitch dark for two hours under an outpouring of the Father's love for two solid hours on unbelievable tender affections that I had read about. But that day he made it known. If you come to me today and you say to me, when I say Heavenly Father, what comes to your mind? Without exception, every time. Tender affections. See, I don't speak of the Father's tender affections because I know about it. I speak of the Father's tender affections because it has been made known to me. I'm going to pray with you this morning. And their prayer team is going to come up when I pray. There's going to be people here this morning who are going to be willing to pray with you. For some of you, you got some stuff to unpack in order for you to experience the revelation of the Father's love. You can leave here with it in your suitcase if you want to, but it'll rob you of your potential. 
It's a good day to unpack it. Come, Holy Spirit. For lots of us, Lord, you know, we get dribs and drabs of the revelation, but we're not living to our potential. We're being robbed by some of the junk in the suitcase, things like shame, secrets. Sometimes it's the stuff that's been done to us, but it's just keeping us from the fullness of God. Now, I pray for these, your children today. I pray you'd give them the courage to go get that stuff, dig it out, unpack it. Empty the suitcase so that the revelation of the Father would have room to play, to stick, to fill, to transform. There's so much more. For far too long, the church has lived beneath its potential. May that no longer be said true of us. Not in this room. May we be on a new journey, free and full. In Christ, I pray it in his name. Amen.